1: Hello, my name's Stuart Miles, and welcome to the PocketLint podcast. This week saw the launch of the new Mate 40 and Mate 40 Pro, Huawei's latest smartphones, along with a number of other devices, from a pair of connected glasses to some headphones that will make things sound a little bit better. PocketLint's Cam Bunton joins me to discuss the announcements and what it means for both the company and consumers going forward. Meanwhile, I've been talking to Carl Brown, Samsung's head of connected living, about what connecting living actually means and how Samsung is using it to improve our lives beyond just allowing us to control our lights. And then Pogalyn editor Chris Hall joins me to talk iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro. Yep, I've been using the new phones for the last week, and he has a barrage of questions for me to answer. But first, back to Cam, tell me more about the Huawei announcement.
0: uh, Well, the question is, what hasn't happened? It's one of those uh, launches where Huawei just announces a whole load of stuff. And some of it, maybe we weren't necessarily expecting, but there were new phones, we saw new headphones, a new watch, and some sunglasses that play music into your ears.
1: And so what's the exciting bit that's really got you sort of thinking, oh,
0: yeah. So the exciting thing is probably the the flagship phones. Um Huawei has a, a long history of creating these devices that have got really impressive specs, great camera systems on the back, big batteries. Um when it comes to technological advances, they tend to be slightly ahead of the curve. And so it's it's almost gives you a a hint at what may be coming to other phones in the future. Um so I think the the big story is probably the Mate 40 Pro, which is sort of the flagship that most people would be interested in as a realistic sort of a purchase. Um, it's got a curved screen on the front called a horizon display, which sort of curves the display all the way round and down, almost halfway down the phone. Uh, a really powerful processor inside. I think only the second 5 nanometer processor following Apple's A14. Mm. Uh, also 5G. And uh, 66 watt wired charging and 50 watt wireless charging, which basically means you can charge the phone up really quickly, whether you use a wired charger or a wireless charger.
1: So these sound like, I mean, some of the specs sound really impressive, um, certainly on the camera front. Does it, I don't, do you think it will deliver?
0: I think it will. I mean, hardware wise, yes, absolutely. Huawei phones will always deliver i think the big question around huawei is always around software especially now that they don't have google play services installed
1: and let's talk about the cameras because that sounds quite interesting now they've they've put this new design on the back does that does that
0: work I think it does. I mean, it looks kind of different. It definitely makes it stand out from the crowd in terms of you look at the back of most Android phones these days and they all pretty much look the same. So you've got this thing that's got a so-called space ring, they've called it, on the back, sort of reminiscent of the click wheel on an old iPod Classic. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely recognizable and the camera system is sounds excellent. I mean, it's got a telescopic or periscopic zoom camera, an ultra wide camera, and a really good sounding uh, primary camera with... I think it's the biggest image sensor on any smartphone to date.
1: And so unlike the iPhone on that front, they've, they've, where iPhone sticks with the 12 megapixel and does a lot of it on the software side of things,
0: Huawei
1: yeah. have gone with a 50 megapixel.
0: Yeah, it's 50. I mean, this is kind of uh, normal in the Android market. You get um, a huge pixel count on the sensor, but actually most of them will sort of bind those pixels up in groups of four or six to create one larger pixel. So it'll, I think it takes it down to a 12 or 16 megapixel standard image. So you don't get a full 50 megapixel picture when you take a photo. So in the end, the end result is pretty much just the same.
1: And do we have any idea of when this is going to come out? Pricing and things like that?
0: They didn't tell us the actual launch date, which was kind of strange, Uh, but they did tell us the pricing. The Mate 40 Pro is about uh, €1,200. They didn't give us UK pounds yet. Um, So it's not a cheap phone at all. Even the standard Mate 40, which is sort of the lower spec of the two models, uh, even that one's about €900. So it's not cheap. These are proper flagship phones with proper flagship uh, prices.
1: Now, you talked about this wasn't just about the phones at the beginning. Is there any other devices within that that you thought, oh, I really want to have a look at those a bit closer?
0: What might be interesting to take a look at is the FreeBuds Studio, which is sort of, it almost feels like a preemptive strike against the so the, the rumored AirPod Studio that Apple has been working on for the past, right. however long, which we don't even know is a real product yet. Uh, but it's, it's uh, Huawei's noise-canceling headphones, um, they've got this advanced sort of antenna design that means they won't lose connection with your phone. Uh, they've got advanced uh, noise cancelling on them. Great sound, apparently, according to Huawei. And they look pretty stylish, too. So we're interested to see what those are like in real life. But again, flagship product with a 300 euro price tag. And
1: That seems to be a trend, doesn't it, at the moment, that every manufacturer that makes a phone or a device has to have its own headphones. We saw, you know, noise, uh, we saw Echo buds didn't we launch at some point yeah. and we've we've seen microsoft have got their own surface headphones and stuff do you, do you think huawei's going to pull it off here uh,
0: it's it's tough to see i mean some of the the earphones we've tested in the past have been pretty decent but not ones that maybe you would recommend over some of the more established brands like you you maybe wouldn't um tell someone to go and buy a pair of FreeBuds pro instead of airpods pro for instance so uh, i'm not sure i think people are still more likely to go with the likes of Bose and Sony if they want to spend £300 on a pair of headphones.
1: Still to come, Chris questions me about using the Apple iPhone 12 and 12 Pro. In previous years, it's kind of only been restricted to specific cameras on specific models. And that's now, uh, there's a lot more parity across the two devices. Samsung, like others, is all about helping you join the dots in your connected life and making the devices we live with understand each other better. It's one of the reasons the company bought SmartThings in 2014. But with life getting more complicated, most people having more and more devices, and more players entering the market, what happens next? I recently talked to Carl Brown, Samsung's head of connected living, to find out. And I started by asking what does being the head of connected living
2: actually mean? sure so connected living for us is how we use our amazing technology and products to make our consumers lives easier simpler and safer at home and how we do that is by creating experiences that are really relevant to people's daily lives um, and the, the benefits to our consumers really vary uh, depending on you know what their life is like we create building blocks within smart things that will get make it really easy for customers to start making their homes that little bit smarter sure
1: so in the in the moment if if the smart home feels i mean we've been covering smart home on pocket for for almost a decade now if not longer and it feels that it's kind of at the moment it still boils down to that turning off lights or changing the temperatures of your heating where do you see the connected home going in the future beyond those two uses which probably most of allison's are doing
2: or, or thought about doing Well, connected home means something different to everyone. Uh, If if I give you a really quick example of what it means to me, you know, recently I got a new puppy at home. um, One of the challenges was how do I train the dog to let me know when he wants to go outside? So we did what everyone does and looked online and tried to get, you know, as much help as we could. And so we attached some traditional bells onto the back door. And that worked really well, except for when I was upstairs, I couldn't, you know, Hear the bells. So I started thinking, how could connected living and smart things help me? So, really quickly, I just added a, a little open-close sensor onto the bells so that if smart things detected any vibration, a message would play out through my sonar right. throughout the home so that I would instantly know that that's what the dog wanted. And that's just a really simple example of something that really mattered to me because it fixed a friction point in my life. But smart things provides the building blocks to make your home your own and make it work for you.
1: And so as a bigger thing, we've obviously talked about the smart things with the sensor there, but how do you see Samsung, how does Samsung see itself fitting into that vision? Is it through lots of sensors around the home or is it something bigger?
2: It's it's definitely something bigger. Our vision is, first of all, to make sure that every product that we make is connected. And so the majority of the 500 million devices that we ship every year are now connected to the smart things platform. But the the real consumer vision is just to make it really easy for anyone to connect to anything and then build services on top of that connectivity that really matter to our consumers and make their lives easier. So we have services within SmartThings that take all the different products together and add additional value.
1: Now, that's one of the things is that many manufacturers seem to be focusing on building their own ecosystems. And although there's some movement to be more open, thinking about the Zigbee Alliance and there's that new open alliance from Amazon, Apple and uh, Google, they still feel that they want to be the gatekeeper. You know, if you if you get an Amazon Alexa, then you kind of you start with that and that's the way in. Or if you go with Apple, it's HomeKit or Google, it's Google Assistant. You kind of start with a with Google Assistant, you know, a, a Nest Audio Speaker or, or the like. What do you think the answer is to that that either problem or solution? Do you think it's about having an ecosystem or do you think it's about being as open as possible?
2: We definitely believe that it's about being as open as possible because that's what enables consumer choice. If we were to focus all our efforts in trying to protect an ecosystem, it would be the consumer that loses out. So SmartThings has always been that open platform where we want to make sure our consumers can connect anything they want to. And then our job is to create the experiences and the value on top of that that make customers want to stay within smart things. Uh, initiatives like uh, the connected home over IP uh, initiative that you mentioned are a great way for the industry to catch up with the same mindset that we've always had within smart things.
1: And we talk about you know connected living majority of time is that is that feeling that it's all happening in the home, and, and obviously that's not the case. You know, so what what's Samsung doing to take that smart home living outside of the home, so to speak?
2: Well, everything that we have within our connected living offering is accessible out of the home as well. Um, and one of the, the examples of an experience that we've created that really resonates with our consumers is being able to schedule and run your home when you're outside. So I can schedule my washing machine to run so that it's finished when I get home. And so I can just tell it to start when I'm in the office or even automate it so that it knows where I am. Um, We've also added more functionality so that any Galaxy product can actually interact with your smart home. So you can use your phone, your tablet, your wearable, or even your Galaxy Buds to talk through the smart things to your home and get things working for you.
1: And you talk about scheduling there and, and things like that. A lot of this is now done by your mobile phone. Because that's a good gateway to use that term again to a lot of these things. When do you see? Do you see that always being the case, or do you see there'll be a time where we're using another device to start controlling stuff, or, or a combination of devices to control things?
2: I, th- I think it'll be a combination of devices. The, the mobile phones is like the remote control for your life because I think everyone in the UK uses their phone for everything right now. What we again what we've done through smart things is make sure that it's a really simple easy to use interface no matter what device you're in front of so it's the same look and feel on your Samsung TV to control your home as it is on your phone or your tablet or your watch so you know our vision is to make sure our consumers can interact through whatever mechanism is easiest for them at the time
1: and talking about different devices there <laughs> You know depending on who you talk to, some people will say that the smart home or connected living is you know we're there, everything talks to each other, and it's all great and other people you talk to will be like, well, I've got this new vacuum cleaner and it doesn't talk to my you know it might talk to my Alexa or it might talk to my Google system, but it doesn't talk to my watch or it doesn't you know my watch doesn't talk to this or or vice versa and stuff when when do you see a time when all our devices will just you know this open approach all our devices will just instantly work? with all the other devices that we have in our life?
2: I think we're, we're definitely moving towards that point now for, as we mentioned, open standards will make it much more scalable. I think one of the challenges we have at the moment is that consumers have a lot of connected products, but they're just not aware of how to get them all working together for them. Hmm. Again, that's why a platform like SmartThings or our app, where we have the biggest brands in the UK already compatible with our ecosystem, you can take the products you've already got at home and get them working together. Like you mentioned, um, an Echo device, for example, can control a Samsung TV. And a lot of people don't know that they can do that.
1: And how do you go about, you know, if, if it's a case of educating people further, how, how do you go about doing that?
2: I think our, our approach is to create a lot of experiences that have really clear user benefits so that people can start getting inspired into what smart home can do for them. Um, but yeah, we, we create a lot of video content and help content to help people get started and make them aware of what they can do already. And then we work with our partners to try and drive awareness through the channels that we have available.
1: And do you think that, you know, two years ago, Samsung announced the Galaxy Home, which was a kind of a speaker that was supposed to be the head of, of, you know, kind of controlling your home, and you had Bixby, which kind of is again was the smart assistant, which has kind of dropped away. Do you think it's now become a a, a two horse race, or even you know, because I don't think many people even see Siri from Apple as a as a as a home controller, so to speak. So do you think it's become a two horse race between Alexa and uh, Google Assistant, or do you think there is still room for for Samsung services or Apple services or other people to come on board?
2: Firstly, I think that you know, what Google and Alexa offer is they have great services. And SmartThings, I think, is one of the only platforms that works across both. So our consumers can choose how they interact through voice with our platform and control their devices. But there is definitely room um, for additional value from other services. So for example, Bixby is really great at controlling Samsung devices. And that's its strength. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely think there is room, but Alexa and Google are amazing and add a lot of value to our consumers, and that's why we work with them and make sure our Samsung products work with them too.
1: And, you know, talking, going back to smart things, and I know you're announcing new things all the time and new functions and features and and, and things. What, what do you see the future of smart things being? And, and is there anything exciting that you can tell us that's on the roadmap to come in the
2: future? In, in terms of exciting things, I mean, I'm really lucky in my role at Samsung that, because I love technology, it's like being in the world's biggest technology toy shop as new hmm. products and technology arrive every week. Um, recently, we just launched a new service called Smart Things Find, which was really important to us because it helps address an issue that's really important to our consumers and that it helps you find a Galaxy product if you've lost it. Um, so, we use the latest technology in ultra wideband and um, Bluetooth technology so that you can find your devices anywhere in the right. world if you lose them and we're constantly building on the Things platform to add more value and more services. So I'm really excited about what we're going to do next. Um, we're looking at some really key areas that will improve the UK public at a scale um, rather than a one-to-one consumer experience.
1: The Apple iPhone 12 and 12 Pro are finally here, complete with a new design, a tougher screen, new processor and even 5G. So is this a huge leap forward or seemingly like everything else at the moment, an update for update's sake? I've been using the iPhone 12 Pro and iPhone 12, two of four new iPhones announced this year, to find out whether these are the iPhones to get. And Chris is here to interrogate me on what I think. What questions do you have, Chris?
3: Well obviously it's an exciting year for the iPhone because it gets a new design so I think that's the obvious place to start things have gone square around the edges what's that actually like is it uncomfortable compared to the roundedness of before um no I don't think so it feels a bit blunter um
1: in that it's, it's there's no kind of curvature on the edge anymore it just it just finishes um and that meant that they've got a bigger screen so the uh both models now have a 6.1 inch Super Retina 8x uh, XDR, uh, which is basically an OLED screen, <laughs> and um, it just means that you get. It's a weird thing. The perception is that there's a smaller, there's a, a smaller amount of bezel because you don't get the extra curvature of the metal band that's around the Eleven and Eleven Pro because it just cuts off. So it looks like it's a small bezel, but from a screen perspective, it it doesn't. I don't think it is a smaller
3: bezel sure okay so you've, you've you've got the iphone 12 and the iphone 12 pro they use different materials though around the edges don't they how, how different do they feel um again they feel
1: the pro feels the pro is is a stainless i think surgical stainless steel uh and it's a lot more polished so i've been using the pacific blue one the the blue is it's quite it's not a blue blue it's really weird so that the, the the shininess it kind of comes almost like that sort of oiliness in petrol that you see when it catches the light oh, on sure. the on the polished edge i think the gold one i haven't seen that in the flesh uh, there's a gold one but that's very gold uh, rather than sort of the muted sort of golds that we've seen before so that could be kind of quite goldy um or goldy uh depending on how you pronounce it um but the feeling between the two is it's it's not a huge amount of difference it's um the the 12 is 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 uh, it's like more brushed aluminium rather than, I think it's aluminium or it might be steel, um, but it's more brushed rather than than polished. Uh, But it's, it's minimal in that, in that notice of What you do notice on the back of the 12 is that it's, uh, they're both made of both have glass backs, but the, uh, the iPhone 12 pro is, is frosted. And so it doesn't show any fingerprints really at all. You can kind of pick it up and it's not a problem. The, Twelve was just f- smudge tastic, like within seconds of touching it. So that's not really an issue if you're going to put a case on it. But I think it's something that you should you should worry about if you're not going to if
3: you're going to go naked. Sure. <laughs> but the the big story as, aside from the design, which obviously a lot of people are going to be excited about, and that's a good reason to go out and buy one of these new phones because it looks different. So everyone will know you've got the latest thing. But the big thing in it that is the latest thing is the addition of five G. Yes. How do you feel about the 5G inclusion? I mean, have you actually had the chance to use it? Do you think it benefits the iPhone in any way?
1: So I think the 5G is really good, right? In the sense that it's obviously going to be the technology that's going to dominate mobile phones for the next 10 years, um, if not longer. And the majority of the way that most people if you think about it, you're buying you normally buy a phone certainly an iPhone we've seen that now people are buying them and holding them on to two to three years because they just you know they last that long and, and all the other stuff so that's great because you buy it today and it will still if you've got it in 3 years time and you hand it down to the kids you're still going to have 5g the problem is is that although everybody keeps on telling us 5g is here um as you know it's very specific of where here is
3: yeah 5g <laughs> 5g isn't here and 5G probably isn't there either, but 5G is somewhere.
1: Yeah, so I to test the 5G, I had to drive, get in my car, and drive 30 minutes away um, to test it. And and because of, of current new normal and all the other stuff, that effectively meant I, I spent a morning in a lay-by just outside Reading um, because that seemed to be the nearest and easiest way for me to get 5G. Um, when I got there... And I sat in my lay by uh, the speeds I was achieving was just ridiculous. I mean, I was getting 260 megabits per second download, um, which is, you know, considering my fiber broadband at home is somewhere around about the 50 mark, um, you know, that meant I could download things very quickly. I downloaded call of duty, uh, mobile phone app on, on the iPhone, it's 2.4 gig, uh, I press it, and this is kind of also a combination of the process as well. I press download within well, within five minutes it was downloaded and I was I was loading it up. Which if you think of it from that way is it's just ridiculous. I mean that's you know, really fast.
3: I mean it's an it's an interesting move that um 5G is now across all of Apple's devices. So all of the iPhone 12 models from the mini up to the Pro Max, it's in everything. So that means that essentially 5g is here for the iphone and as you said before people are buying these phones and holding on to them for longer so it makes sense to get on board with 5g and then when your network is ready for you your phone is going to be ready as well even if that is not day one
1: yeah and if you live in a city that's got 5g you know some of the um the other reviewers i know that have got iphones already ahead of um ahead of on sale day you know they live in bang in the center of london so they had 5g in their house already so it's not really you know for them it wasn't really an issue and if you look at you know ee have got 112 um, 112 cities in the uk i think o2 have got 100 vodafone's quickly rolling out you know in major metropolitan areas and all those kind of things so if you kind of in one of those areas then and you can get 5g then you will notice a massive difference and it will be great and we can see that i think it's also been one of those things with 5g is that there has been a huge waiting game for Uh, mobile networks in the UK, US and and elsewhere, they didn't want to put it in too early because up until now, I mean, we've had the Samsung devices, that's been great. We've had quite a few other devices coming along and adding 5G. But everybody knows that, you know, iPhone and Apple is one of the big drivers of of some of this technology. And therefore, if you've got lots of customers who've now got going out tomorrow and buying a 5G device, they'll be pushing to the networks to say look where's my 5g i want it come on i've got the phone now give me the device and yeah. i suspect that will only continue to to grow when you know the next iteration of the samsung s 21 when that comes out next beginning of next year that bound to be 5g across the board and you know the smaller the mid-range stuff the mid-range phones from you know they're all adding 5g aren't they so you know and it's becoming very affordable so it kind of continues as, as that momentum builds there's more of, there's more necessity but more relevance for the networks to to add more capacity, 5G capacity in the first place.
3: Yeah, so it's going to be great for everybody who has a 5G phone, not just those with iPhones. You mentioned earlier that both of these phones have a, have an OLED display in it, and that's a marked difference from the devices, the from the iPhone eleven and the 11 mm. Pro before because they was they were very different devices. Now there's only one real difference, apart from the materials which you spoke about, and that's in the cameras on the back of the phone, isn't it? So what's the difference? Yeah. So
1: in the, the big difference between the 12 and the 12 Pro is that you get on the 12 Pro you get a telephoto lens, which allows you that kind of additional zoom in capability. Um, otherwise, the, the cameras are, are very similar. You certainly with the new processor you get a lot of the functionality that is software enabled. So like the HDR capabilities, low light, night mode, you know, all those bits and bobs, portrait mode, those things that Apple keeps on shouting about. In previous years, it's kind of only been restricted to specific cameras on specific models. And that's now, uh, there's a lot more parity across the two devices. What is interesting is that they will then be, uh, when the Pro Max, the 12 Pro Max comes out next month, that will have a slightly better camera set than the 12 Pro, and I think that's mainly because it's a bigger device and therefore there's more space to put in bigger sensors and and other bits and bobs. And the 12 Mini, which is the smaller version of the 12, that will have the same two-camera system as the 12, um, so there won't be any lesser thing, but obviously it's just a smaller device.
3: So... Aside from the telephotoness, and I've I've seen some of the sample photos and I've I've read around and I've heard very, very good things about the camera and the camera experience as a whole. Mm. But between the two, considering the price difference, which would be the one that you would choose?
1: I think that's a, it's a really difficult question. I know a lot of people that went out and bought the 11 Pro just because, well, it's Pro and because they wanted the best. They wanted that flagship model over the regular 12. But I think unless you really unless you really miss the idea of getting a little bit closer on your photos or what you could do is just take a step closer in real <laughs> life in the physical world to to take your photos then i think the 12 is you know is a very good iphone you know and certainly a good one to get it feels like you can get away with buying it and not feel like you've settled for second best which i think is the best way forward because sometimes and we saw this previously you know with different devices is you'd if you went for the sub, you know, the 12 over the 12 Pro or, you know, other devices from other manufacturers, normally it meant that you got a lesser processor or there was something, you know, missing from it from a performance perspective and you were asked to just, well, settle and deal with it. And I think here is, is there's a number of features on the Pro that you could get excited about, but you'll just never use. I mean, you know, one of them is, is 4K HDR, 60 frames a second video recording, and, and the reality is, is that for probably most people that, uh, unless you're a professional photographer, you know, professional photographer or videographer, probably 1080p will be fine for you. Um, you know, and there's, and there's things like that, you know, the, the, the frosted back is nice, but Hey, most people put on a case on it. So you're not going to see the fingerprint smudges anyway, you know? So there's lots of, they've made it very hard, um, to do it. I think if you are on a, you've won an iPhone and you're on a slight budget then a 12 will be good. I think you should probably wait. I'm really interested to see what the mini is going to be like from a, uh, you know, a usability capability, you know, usability standpoint. Um, and, you know, if you really like that massive screen, cause the pro max goes up to 6.7 inches, which is going to be, it's almost like iPad mini size, isn't it? Um, you know, you mo- maybe need to wait a couple of weeks to see if that's the one for you. But, you know as an 11 pro user moving up to the 12 pro it's it's been a a nice sort of upgrade feeling i feel like i've got a new phone and it feels like it's a little bit special than than last year's which is you know always what you want to hear um but ultimately they're both great devices well that's it for this week's show thanks for listening until next time pip pip